Welcome to the All Nations Aurora podcast, where you will find family, discover purpose, and change the world. We're so glad you're here. And wherever you're listening from, we believe that God will speak directly to your life through this message. Good morning, All Nations Aurora. Come on, let's put our hands together for the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one who woke you up this morning. As the saints used to say, started you on your way. Can we just honor him? Because guess what? We don't have to be here. We could be sick. We could be afflicted. We could be off of this earth completely. But the Lord has blessed us to be in his house. Turn to your neighbor and say, this is his house. Uh, to all the people that are here for the first time, hello. My name is Talit, and along with my beautiful wife, Ty, we have the distinct privilege of being the lead pastors here at All Nations Aurora, and we are so glad that you are here. As we step into this first Sunday in March, we are stepping into a brand new series called No Offense. Why would we need to go here? Because so many people are so easily offended. How many of you agree that in your observation, like at no time before, People seem to be more easily offended now than ever before. How many of you, I'm, I don't know if I should ask this, but I'm asking anyway. How many of you can tell that Christians are more easily offended than ever before? The ones that didn't say nothing pop were the offended Christians that I was just talking about. But we are. I mean, we can go topic for topic. We can go politics. Oh, you voted for him? Oh, you voted for her? That offends me. That offends me. We've got, we've got abortion rights, right? Because of the Supreme Court and their new passing of their law. And so now, where are you at on that debate? Depending on where you're at, I'm offended at you because that's not Christian. Neither is that. So I guess nobody's Christian. Nobody's got this thing figured out. I'm offended. I'm offended. Here's the one. Here's the one that's tearing the church apart. Apple or Android? <laughs> I mean, the church is just about, look how, look how offended y'all are right now. We all know that the righteous are on team Apple. Huh? <laughs> the androids are so offended right now. But, <laughs> but in all honesty, offense is a real problem. And that's why we, we, we decided that we were going to have a collection of conversations to talk about this topic so that you won't let offense rob you of the life that God created for you. Because whether we want to admit it or not, offense has been robbing us of time, energy, and joy, which are all valuable things that you shouldn't let be stolen from you. And so I want to show my cards right up front. Throughout this series, I'm going to offend you. I just want to tell you that up front. So that when I do offend you, you can say, well, at least he told me. <laughs> but my objective in offending you is to free you. I'm going to offend you so that you can be set free from offense. Why? Because we have work to do. <laughs> I keep telling you all, this isn't a Sunday social club. We are trying to equip you to do the work of the kingdom. And so if you're walking around offended, you're kind of wasting our time. And you're kind of wasting the king's time. Because offense has you weighed down. The Bible tells us not to just throw off the sins that so easily beset us, but sins and weight. And for a lot of you all, you're so offended that you're too weighed down to advance the kingdom of God forward. And we have to bring that to an end. And so that's why in this first message, we're going to talk about the topic of the best defense 
for offense. The best defense for offense. Let's pray about it. Lord, we thank you that you brought us here into your house to lift up your holy name, to learn how to become more like you. Father, everything that has us bound, shackled, and weighed down, we ask for a supernatural release and a supernatural breakthrough as a result of tuning in to what you are speaking to us today. Father, you're a much better preacher than I. I remove myself so that you can be made the star of the show. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The best defense for offense. Uh, many centuries ago, I played high school football. And y'all laugh too hard at that. Um, and I, was, I, I played both offense and defense. And, and people would ask, well, which do you prefer? And I would always tell them, it's always better to give than to receive. And during the era that I played, defense was the primary focus. And, and they, they would say that the, the cure for a great offense is a great defense. And so we're going to be outlining, biblically speaking, what's a great defense against the spirit of offense? Did you know it was a spirit? Did you know that it came not just to distract you, but to destroy you? from hell. And it's a good idea to put up a good defense against the offensive attacks, offensive attacks that Satan has with your name on it. So we hope that you lock in to this collection of conversations. Here's something that you need to know about offense. Offense is bad for your health. Like before we get deep, let's just, let's just talk for a second. And that you being stuck, offended at people, places, and things is killing you physically. Being offended causes increased stress levels. Because you're running these things through your mind, you're thinking about what this person did, and it's raising your levels of cortisol and adrenaline. And too much of that over too long a period of time causes a detriment to your health. Am I right, Dr. Monique? Because you're an actual doctor. Okay. So not only does it cause increased stress levels, but it causes insomnia. You can't sleep because you can't stop thinking about them and they ain't thinking about you. But you can't sleep. And you're losing out on the rest that your physical man needs to operate efficiently the next day because you're so offended. And you don't know that a lack of sleep is destroying your physical body the more that you get stuck in cycles of insomnia. So not only does it cause increased stress or insomnia, but it causes digest digestive problems. Because when you are dealing with offense and dealing with increased stress, your body goes into fight or flight mode and it disrupts your digestive operations within your body. And then it can cause things like acid reflux and uh, uh, diarrhea. Come on, diarrhea. All because you offended. You can't stop going to the bathroom because you offended. You need to stop being offended. It also causes muscle tension. Because you're so mad, your muscles are tensing up. And the more that goes on, the more you become a candidate of chronic illnesses because you're always tense because offense is killing you. It also causes a weakened immune function. Now you can't even come back against diseases that are trying to enter your body because your offense has caused your immune system to be weakened. Your offense is killing you with your offended self. Now, if that's not enough, maybe, maybe you know, because sometimes we get told information about our health. We're we, we not, we not supposed to eat as much pork. 
but we like bacon. So we kind of ignore the advice because bacon is so good. <laughs> We're supposed to exercise 30 minutes a day, but I, who's got time to exercise? So sometimes we hear good advice about our health, but we don't, we don't move on it because it doesn't move us. Well, in addition to offense being bad for your physical health, offense is bad for your spiritual health. So not only is offense destroying you physically, but your offended self is being destroyed spiritually. Because offense leads to bitterness and resentment. You start to really hate that person. You start to really resent the situation. And sometimes you start to really get mad at God. Because you're offended at one of his creations. So not only does it cause bitterness and resentment, but it also causes damage to your relationships. Amen. You start looking at people differently. Some of y'all start getting pre-offended at people. I, had, I don't know if they're going to watch this, but I had somebody tell me this week, like, like I didn't, I wasn't, I wasn't like reaching out to you because, you know, you cool with them and I ain't cool with them. And so therefore I wasn't cool with you until I met you and I see that you're not like them. He was pre-offended at me. Wow. <laughs> ain't even, ain't even had a conversation. But you're pre-offended by affiliation. Right and you're damaging potentially life changing relationships. Now I had a choice. Do I let his pre-offense cause offense in me? I could have. Because the old Tyler would have been like, forget you then. <laughs> Player? But no, I, I, I said, yo, here's my number. If you ever need anything, man, holler at me. It's all good. Because I refuse to let offense weigh me down. I'm too focused on what God wants to do with my life to be worried about offense. So sometimes you need to show love in the midst of offense. Now, sometimes showing love is exiting a situation. Be clear. Sometimes you need to lean in. Sometimes you need to lean out. But what you don't need to do is stay stuck, offended. Do something. Show them love or show them the exit. Either way, you got to bust a move. Because staying in that place will cause damage to re your relationships. And you will start prejudging, pre-assuming, pre be being pre-offended at somebody you ain't never even talked to. So not only does it cause damage to relationships, but it causes a distraction in your spiritual growth. You're too distracted to grow in your faith because it's constantly on your mind. You're constantly giving energy to the thoughts around the offense and the offender that you can't hear the Lord speaking to you about your next, because you're offended. Your offense is a wall between you and the spirit of the living God. He's trying to grow you and develop you change your character to his, but you love your offense too much. You're too comfortable with your dysfunction to hear him clearly. And not only does it cause a distraction from your spiritual growth, but it becomes a hindrance to your prayer and your worship. Some of you just couldn't even lift your hands in worship because you're still questioning why God let that happen to you. Why did God allow that person to hurt me? So you came, but you, you were hindered in your worship. 
Nika was up here praying, you couldn't even lean into the corporate prayer because your mind is so consumed with thoughts because you saw somebody in here that you're offended about. Okay. And so you are hindered from connecting to the most powerful lanes that we have to connect to him, prayer and worship, because you are offended and you're dying spiritually. How do we handle this? Well, I think it's important that we return to the scriptures to find out how do we overcome this? Because I, I want to assume that you don't want to continue to die physically or spiritually. And I, my, my, my hope is that you see that offense is a bigger deal than what we give credence to. We think it's, it's no big deal. It's not a big issue. It's not a big rock. It's just a little small thing, but actually it's not. It's causing distance between you and your master. So we're going to look at the book of James the younger brother of Jesus. And in James 1, 19, it says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry, quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to get angry. Can I ask you a question? How are you doing with that? How's that going for you? How would you grade yourself in the category of being quick to listen? How would you grade yourself in the category of being slow to speak? What type of grade would you get for being slow to anger? The Bible doesn't say that you can't be angry. The Bible doesn't say that you can't be hurt. The Bible doesn't say that you can't be disappointed. But specifically when it comes to anger, it said be slow to get there. Some of y'all, you saying both there. Some of y'all, it's y'all default. Some of y'all breaking track records to get to angry. You can't wait to be angry. Bible tells us that we're supposed to be slow to get there. We're not supposed to sprint our way there. But, but seriously, how, how is that going for you? Is it bringing you more joy? Is your life more peaceful as a result of you being offended at your ex? Is your marriage more connected now that you've been offended at your spouse? How is it going? Is it serving you well? Why do we keep doing it? I think we all know the answer to that. I think we all share the same answer. That, no, that actually hasn't been very helpful. You're going to have to make a very important decision as we move forward. You're going to have to decide, do I want to make a point or do I want to make a difference? Which one is it? Now I'm speaking from a place of being stuck here before. Early on in my walk with Jesus, I was very, very Pharisaic. I was a rule follower, I was a doctrine dude, I was a theology dude, and if I felt like your theology was suspect, man, I told you about it. I wrote people off. This ministry, that ministry, they don't know Jesus. They don't know their Bible. It's so easy to be judgmental. And at some point, we got to recognize that it's a problem. I had all this knowledge and no grace. I had all this doctrine and no love. Paul warns us about being puffed up in our knowledge. So sometimes we like to say that our anger is righteous 
righteous indignation. That's bad doctrine. That's bad theology. That's not the way that a Christian should live. She got demonic symbols on her album cover. True. But how come all of your righteous indignation is about other people's sins and not yours? So you are angry righteously at their sexual sins, but you're not as angry at your gluttony. <laughs> so, so you have a righteous indignation about their anger problems, but you give yourself a pass when it comes to your judgmentalism. If the righteous indignation is about sin, how come it's not about your sin too? So maybe it's not a righteous indignation. Maybe it's a self-righteous indignation that you possess. And maybe it's time to bring that to an end. I want to go back to this passage of scripture and I'm going to add one. So we're going to look at James 119 again. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Now in the next verse, he tells you why. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So my question then becomes, do you have a desire to be who God wants you to be? Because your human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. That's what that verse just said. I'm confused by your silence. I don't know if you're listening or if you're already offended. But that anger that you're sitting on, that offense that you're sitting on, that you've been petting for the last five years, it's not what God wants for you. Because you don't look righteous. You look ratchet. It's not what God has for you. So if it's not what God has for you, how come it's something that you keep maintaining for yourself? Why do you love your offense so much? You treat it like it's a pet. Oh, come here, my little offense. I love you so much. You love being offended. You don't even know what life is like without offense. When was the last time you have been not offended at somebody? Hmm. You think it's an accident? We, we, we talk about temptation. What about, what about offense? The devil can tailor make temptation that you like, but he can also tailor make offense that you like too. You can't wait to be offended. Some of you, most of you, all of you. You can't wait. Oh no, she didn't. Oh no, he didn't. I told you about her. I told you about him. And you can't wait to go, co go, go be co-defended, offended with somebody. You find an offense partner to link up with so y'all can be offended together. That's probably a life group by itself. The offense group. <laughs> but it's not what God has for us. That's the big takeaway. It's not what God has for us. That verse just told us that our anger is not what God has for us. It makes us look unrighteous. Don't you understand that you're a part of something bigger than yourself? Sometimes we come to church and just want to know what God has to say to us about us and our situation. But God don't talk like that. 
God don't think like that. He is thinking about his kingdom and he is thinking about generations. He's trying to free you so you can free somebody else. He's trying to help you so you can help somebody else. He's trying to prosper you so that you can prosper somebody else. But you're too offended. What does offense do? It makes you think of only you. You become the center of your world. And there's no room for anybody else. Because of what that last church did. Because of what that last significant other did. Because of what that last boss did. You're offended to the point that your future is being stalled. So what do we do? I think it should be our goal no matter what the topic, to be like Jesus. One of the biggest problems with our current generation is we are striving to be like pastors. We're striving to be like our favorite prophet, our favorite singer. We need to be like Jesus because people will fail you, self-included. Don't put me on, I'm not no Jesus. You stay around here long enough, I'm going to make you mad. Sorry in advance. But you need to be putting your energy into how can I be like Jesus in this situation? How can I represent the kingdom of God in this situation? So there was a point in Jesus' earthly ministry where he was doing miracles, signs and wonders and, and some very intelligent people kept trying to trip him up with their questions. And one, and one of these such occasions, one of them said, so Jesus, out of all these laws, out of, out of everything that Moses and the, and, and, and the saints of old have taught us, which is the most important? And so in Matthew and 22 and 37, Jesus replies, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. So if the goal is to be like Jesus, the goal is to every day strive to look more and more like him. He's telling us first step is to honor him with everything that we have, to honor him with everything that we are not just partially. So not just that spiritual gift that you possess, that gift of communication, that ability to sing, or to dress fancy and play the drums. He also wants that pain. He also wants you to learn how to become unoffendable. He also wants you to love unconditionally but that's only step one he also said you know how you show your love for me is by loving my people he said the second is as important so you come in you lift your hands to your Jesus but you point your finger at his people problem is they're as equally important you're supposed to love God and love his people. Who are his people? Everybody. Not just church people. Come on. Sorry. Not just the saints. He loves the ain'ts just as much. Remember when you was an ain't? Oh, did you forget? He loved you then. He loves you now. He loves them right where they are. And guess what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to love his people too. That's why this conversation is important because your offense is causing you to hate who he loves. And he don't like that. He wants you to love him 
Think about the cross upward and love his people horizontal. He said they're both equally important. But you don't know what they did to me. It's true. But he does. And again, it doesn't mean that you just welcome them back into your life with open arms. But you should at least move on. Hello? Staying offended is what's messing you up. You have the ability to move on. Shocking. You can release it and let it go. How do we get there? How do we learn to let go of anger and overcome offenses? The first step is lower your expectation of people. You think, you think way too much of us. People be peopling. The saved kind and the not so saved kind. People are going to people. Let me take it to the Bible. Matt, or excuse me, 2 Timothy 3 and 2. For people, the people we're talking about, will only love themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends. Be reckless. Be puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. But you're offended because they won't return your text. People are people. We're all imperfect. We all make mistakes. We all gonna mess up. We all gonna make wrong decisions. Stop thinking so highly of flawed people. Lower your expectations of what they will and will not do for you. Your hope is in Jesus. He is your sustainer. He is your keeper. He is your savior. He is your master. He is the lover of your soul. Not him or her. People will let you down. Do you find it ironic that Jesus, being all-knowing, was never shocked by people's failures? He was never shocked that people were self-centered. <laughs> you remember the woman at the well? You remember her story? He said, not only is the man you with now not your husband, but them last few jokers. He could have dragged her like y'all do. He could have reposted or put it on the shade room like y'all do. But he didn't. He offered her living water. And she became a witness, an evangelist to her whole city. Because Jesus didn't judge her. He loved her. And she was guilty. He could have had self-righteous or he could have had righteous indignation like you sinner. I'm Jesus and you're not. That's what y'all do. You want to put your little scriptures on Facebook in condemnation. It's not even in love. You mad about something. You Google a Bible verse about it and then you post it. I know. I told you I was going to be offended today. And <laughs> it's only the first message. Well, what about the time um, Jesus was with his disciples and James and John was like, hey, Jesus, can I holler at you for a second? Hey, when you get to heaven, look out for your boys. Mm -hmm. 
put me on the left and put a little bro on the right. Could you do that, Jesus? He was like, what are you talking about? Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? But he did that in love. He was trying to help them understand who they were about to become. But their self-centeredness, them thinking about themselves, didn't catch him off guard. It caught the other disciples off guard, and they was hot. It's like, oh, no, you didn't. But Jesus gave love despite their self-centeredness. What about Peter? That's his boy. That's the inner circle. Peter was like, yo, Jesus, I don't know what them other cats going to do, but if it go down, I'm right here, tip toes down. I ain't never leaving you. Never, ever, ever. And what did he do? Leave. As soon as it went down, lied, cursed at a little teenager, and just resigned his commission. I'm going back fishing. <laughs> they didn't catch Jesus off guard. He went and found Peter. And told him, I'm going to build my church on you. I need you to get your head back in the game. He showed him love despite his selfish self-centeredness. You got to lower your expectations of people. That will allow you to love people even though them people are flawed. So after you lower your expectations, you need to practice active listening. You talk too much. And you like to say you mean, well, God gave me a spirit of counsel. But he also gave you two ears and one mouth. You should listen twice as much as you talk. You should make a conscious effort not to just listen, but listen attentively. Because the spirit of the living God works through your ability to listen. You're so quick to give that you didn't even leave room for the spirit to guide your words. Close your mouth. Open your ears. I'll use the Bible because you don't believe me. Proverbs 17 and 27. A wise, a truly wise, not even just wise, a truly wise person uses what? Few words but you use a lot of words. But a truly wise person uses few words. A person with understanding is even-tempered. Next verse, even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. So you could be a fool, have no knowledge on the situation, don't know what advice to give, but if you just close your mouth, even fools are thought wise when they keep silent with their mouths shut. Thank you. Y'all see the Bible, what the Bible says? You talk your way into looking unintelligent. If you would just close your mouth and let the spirit of God move, you could be quiet, listen and pray instead of yapping. You could injure somebody with your words because you didn't take the time to listen. The Bible said be quick to listen and slow to speak. So after you lower your expectations of others and practice active listening, you need to pause before speaking. Pause before speaking. You're writing this down. I got plenty of Bible for you. But before responding to a conversation or a situation, take a moment to pause and reflect on what you want to say. This can help avoid impulsive or hurtful words that can be seemed offensive. Can I take it further? This is also in regard to how you post on social media. Yeah, there's that awkward silence. This isn't just about your in-person conversations with people, but some of you are also not just quick to speak, but you're quick to post. 
you make the church look dumb with your bad theology, your bad doctrine, your bad interpretation of scripture. You're making us look foolish because you're not being slow to speak slash post. Pause before speaking. Pause before posting. Now, this is an issue. I ain't gonna lie. Used to drive my wife crazy. But I was, here it is. I was damaging my witness. Because everything that may be accurate don't need to be posted. Everything that may be true doesn't need to be spoken. Sometimes it needs to be prayed through. Sometimes it needs to be placed at the feet of Jesus. I know that little post made you feel good, but now when that person is hurt and they ain't trying to hear what you're trying to talk about your God, because you mean and offensive with your words, Christian. I'll use the Bible so that you don't think I'm a heretic. Proverbs 15 and 1, a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words makes tempers flare. So you could actually be exacerbating the problem instead of being a solution because you didn't pause before speaking or pause before posting. This passage highlights the power of gentle and patient speech. Gentle and patient speak speech doesn't make you weak, it makes you wise. You don't just represent you. If Jesus is not just your savior, but Jesus is also your Lord and master, you represent him with your words. You represent him with your actions. So you lower your expectation of others, you practice active listening, you pause before speaking, and number four, you practice self-control. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. So if the Holy Spirit is in you, one of the fruits that should also be present in you is self-control. You don't have to go off all the time, do you? You don't have to let people know exactly what they need to know right then and there, do you? You can have a little self-control. You can, you, can, you can gather yourself a little better if you use the helper, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit as your guide. Ecclesiastes 7 and 9 says, control your temper. Why? For anger labels you a fool. Your anger is making you look foolish. This, pas this passage echoes the same sentiments that we found when we read through James, that uncontrolled anger leads to unrighteousness. Uncontrolled anger leads to unrighteousness. And the quickest way to get you here is the spirit of offense. It tears you up. I got one more point because I know y'all are offended. So as the musicians come and the praise team comes back up, the last thing you need to do is increase your gratitude for God's grace. Nothing you have, you earn. Nothing you have, you deserve. It's all because of God's grace. Let's take a quick survey. Raise your hand if you've never sinned. Sinned. Raise your hand if you've never sinned. Looks like we have no takers. So that means we all deserve hell. Not just the person that offended you, but you too. You don't have... You don't have enough reverence for the grace of God. It's part of the problem. You don't realize how much grace you received personally that allows you 
to sit in the seat that you sit in. You don't see that you are a product of grace and therefore you have no propensity to give grace to other people because you forgot how much grace you have received. It's your perfect self. This is probably the most important step. Allow in your spirit, just for a moment to reflect, close your eyes, reflect on the grace, the mercy, the favor that God has placed on your life already. Not the stuff you're still asking for, you're still at expectation for. Think about what he has already done for you. Compare it to what you have done to him. How you've let him down. How you've sinned against him. And yet, he just continues to shower you with grace, with mercy that you have not earned. It was given to you by grace. Open your eyes. And that's how he wants you to love his people. Because that grace that came to you, came to you when you were an enemy of his. You were his enemy. And he's demonstrating to you how you're supposed to handle your enemy. That's why the Bible tells you to pray for your enemies. When was the last time you prayed for your enemies? Ephesians 2 and 8 says this. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. What is it? It's a gift. Hello. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done because you ain't done no good things. Write that down. I know you think you're good, but you ain't that good. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us, none of us, none of us can boast about it. There's a story in John chapter 8 about a woman who was caught in the act of adultery. She's guilty. She did what they said she did. There's no denying it. There was no wonder if it's true or is it just a rumor? It was true. And so these men brought her out to this open area. And guess who there? Jesus. Bible says that he was sitting there on the ground, scribbling into the ground. And these men brought this woman out and said, we caught her in the very act of adultery. I wonder where the dude was, though. That's another message for another day. She can't commit the act by herself, you know. But they brought the woman out. And all these men, they were there. They were ready to stone her. They had the stones in their hands, ready to take her life. They're like, Jesus, we caught her. What should we do? You're the, the hottest preacher on the scene right now. What do you say? And the Bible only tells us that he was stooped down writing in the ground. There's some scholarly opinion, it's just an opinion, that Jesus was writing their sins in the ground. Because his advice to them was, he that is without sin cast the first stone. Yeah. And the Bible says that one by one, they dropped their stones and they departed. The problem is some of us are them dudes holding our stones in our hand with the tightest grip that we could give it. Now, we, 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 listen, I'm not going to throw it, but just in case I need to throw it, I'm going to keep it because I'm offended. They hurt me. They wronged me. They abused me. They let me down. They took advantage of me. So I'm going to keep this rock 
And when the time is just right, I'm going to stone them. I'm going to get them back. I'm going to show them. I'm going to prove them wrong. But none of that is what God has for you. You are those men. And Jesus's advice to you is the same advice he gave to them. He said, I know you're offended. I get it. But the one of you that has no sin, go right ahead. Throw your rock. He already knew. He already knew that none of them would be able to throw a rock. But he needed to show them who they were. He knew who they were. He knew who she was. He knows who you are. He knows who the person is that hurt you. And you know what he wants you to do? The same thing he wanted them to do. Drop your stone. He wants you to drop your stone. Come out of offense. It's killing you. It's stopping you from being who he called you to be. This is how I fight my battle. It's preventing you from walking in the fullness of your potential. Because you keep holding the rock. He's telling you to drop it. Are you willing to drop it? See, this is a heart moment. Because some of you have held that offense so tight, you've been petting it, making sure it's well fed, well taken care of. I love my little offense. The problem is Jesus hates it. Because he can't, he can't use you the way that he's trying to use you. Because your energy, your attention, your focus is on your offense. We hope that you heard from the Lord today and that you will destroy any residue of offense that's in your heart because it's killing you and he wants you free. So we're going to pray this out and then the praise team is going to sing us to our freedom. Lord, we thank you that you met us here today, that you spoke, spoke a word directly to our hearts that we needed. As we leave, help us to walk out what we learned today and not just be hearers of the word, but that we become doers also. We love you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more ways to stay connected, visit us at allnationsaurora.com. Be sure to subscribe and share this podcast with your family and friends. Thanks for listening. Now go out and change the world.